Welcome to the Strange Tonic Podcast, and thank you for tuning into it. As always, we are happy to have you here. We are happy to feature the music by our friends Pan Astral on this recording, just because it's been so snowy here in Seattle, which make fun of me, and make fun of Seattle, if you will, if you're not from here. I'm not from here, but if you just don't live here. But it's been snowy here for almost three freaking weeks. It's insane. It's been, like, in some places, like, eight inches, I think, where we are, total icy. The roads are terrible. No one knows how to drive in it. In some places, like, where Julia's parents live, it's been upwards of nearly three times that. And when you think about a climate that isn't used to dealing with that, a people that are not used to dealing with it, so we don't really... Think of when it snowed in Atlanta. It's not the same thing. I know, geographically, we're almost polar opposites, but... It's been way, way weird. So I going back to one of my favorite songs by Pen Astral. That is When Summer Comes off of their, well, it's still currently their most recent complete album, Suburban Blues. So check it out. It's always one of our favorites, Suburban Blues, Pan Astral. Uh, and this is When Summer Comes on this podcast episode podcast recording, podcast, whatever. Michelle and I discuss for the first half and discuss is sort of a uh, a nice way of putting Michelle tries to kind of guide me in the right direction and ask me about a blog piece that I posted last week. Uh, that is, I actually posted on Valentine's Day. Um, really in response to Mitch McConnell's obvious lack of response, if you will, to Trump throwing us into really kind of a pointless constitutional crisis because Trump, unlike, I believe, I want to believe this, a lot of politicians throughout the years uh, who have held office in our great republic, Trump has no respect for the office he holds. He has no respect for our democracy, for our republic, and he is protected by a party that increasingly has no respect for the Constitution they claim to uphold. In Mitch McConnell's case, he has no respect for the chamber of, of congressional leadership that he oversees. And I just, I felt I needed to get that, that out there. And so it, it's a pretty, it's a long rant. And I, it goes, it, I dip into some stuff that I've been feeling for a while. Um, but one of the things I want to make sure that I just kind of cover here is that if you were someone that felt that you voted for Trump because you thought he was going to live to his word to make America great again, if you were someone that is just trying to get American jobs back in manufacturing and you don't keep up necessarily with 
the day in and day out of uh, political news or maybe someone that really doesn't follow political history or history that much. I don't want you to feel attacked, but I'm hoping that maybe you feel informed. But I do understand that maybe because I use a lot of bad words and I'm very judgmental in a lot of stuff I do. I hope that maybe I'm not. You can kind of hear that within the context of I'm attacking the punditry. I'm attacking the political leadership that represents these things that Trump is doing, that represents the things that's defending such a joke of a terrible person who has been a joke for a long time that is Donald Trump. And I, I just, I think we got to get back to let's talk to each other and not simply be all about tribalism. And I know that's kind of hard to, uh, maybe sort of hard to stomach for people that don't agree with me or defend Trump on a regular basis. But I really, I really, I really feel that hopefully uh, we can kind of get past that. But from there, yeah, again, this is Michelle and I having conversation. We also talk football. And uh, you can hear Gatsby, our my beloved dog, chewing on his beloved toys in the background a few times. Uh, we use music by our friends Pan Astral. This is when summer comes off of their currently most recent album, Suburban Blues. And if you tune back in maybe about a week or so, you can hear me have a conversation with Tad, who is one of the creative drivers behind Pan Astral. So, uh, yeah, this is like the longest intro ever, but I, I hope you enjoy that. You know, hit, hit me back if it's terrible, but I, I'm trying this out. So, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And uh, let's try and learn from each other. And he gets some car lengths up and he spins out and Mm -hmm. goes to the left and everyone then just, you know, we we have to hit our brakes, which is bad, but everyone was far enough back. They're like, okay, okay, kind of slow down. And then he gets going again. You see him start to do the same thing where he's just like drifting. Oh my gosh. What an idiot. Then he again flips across the road. This time he goes all the way to the right, right in front of us. And when we're passing him, he was stuck in the snow just past the shoulder and trying to gun his way out of it. Hmm. So it's like, oh, this was, uh, it shouldn't have been that exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's been a snow week with uh, tons of customers. Like our biggest customer in the region has been mm-hmm. shut down for the past two weeks. and They won't open up until next Wednesday. 
Wow. Holy cow. So our sales are. Yeah, they're non-existent. But at least I haven't been sick. Well, good. Yeah. That yep. is good. Yeah. Yeah. But the flip <laughs> side to that is, uh, I, as we said during text today, I don't really have anything new mm-hmm. to offer for this podcast because, uh, you know, <laughs> it's been snowy slash i've been lazy playing video games nice so you've had like a little mini winter break then yes that's fine nothing wrong with that did you get a chance to uh dig into anything you wanted to talk about in particular are we just going to kind of talk about some current events and how they tie into our previous conversation (laughs) i think that's what it's going to end up being is uh current events linking it to your article that you published and uh yeah, just uh, the ever booming words of Timothy Snyder echoing in my head at every turn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why don't you why don't you give a rundown on what you what you wrote this week? Okay, so let me pull up just so I have it here in front of me. <laughs> so I've been wanting to kind of write something that was my, my this was like back in maybe July. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't that late. I think it was September. It wasn't that long. Um, I was going to write something after the all of the child separation stuff was coming to light, and they were trying to lie about it. Right. And I had a working title for a piece called uh, Commitment to Indecency. Mm-hmm. And so when it became, well, obvious because fucking McConnell said he would support it, that mm-hmm. Trump was going to sort of veer us into a constitutional crisis by declaring a national emergency simply to get a political uh, promise taken care of because he's an idiot and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. he he kept asking for more money and when he was getting getting less money, he got dragged by Ann Coulter, who's still dragging him, and by Sean Hannity. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, Mitch McConnell is – we should have no expectations for these people. So it came as no surprise when he just – totally said, oh, yeah, we're, we're totally going to get behind it because, mm-hmm. you know, why would the Senate Majority Leader of the Senate actually stand up for, you know, not only his own uh, legislative body, but the actual Constitution. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of went through and, you know, I, I didn't want to have the whole thing be you know, just a you know, general swipe at, you know, all things Republican, all things conservative. It's a swipe at both McConnell and Republican leadership who I don't know what they stand for, but they're just completely acquiescing to creeping fascism Mm -hmm. and not standing up for anything that they've claimed to, you know, this is the party that has told us for at least the last probably 10 years, you know, they they really brought up under Obama that they just want to defend the constitution Mm -hmm. and have done anything, everything they can to hide from it under Trump because, you know, it gets them votes and Mm -hmm. the right-wing talk radio loves it. So this was mainly just a piece where I kind of wanted to go, you know, both this is terrible, Mitch McConnell is terrible, but this isn't anything new. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to get back to, you know, as if you're a Republican, you want to get back to, what you claim to stand for, these people have to go. The people that support Mitch McConnell, which are just about every one of your Republican senators needs to go. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, what we saw is that um, I don't think he will, and that they'll gladly abide a uh, would-be tyrant as long as they, uh, you know, don't lose their grip on power. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that, was, that was what was in my head when I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that you framed it as like a disease, though. It's, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even know like, how to articulate more than that, but what, what made you frame it that way, too? Because there's so many different ways and different analogies you can use, but like, how, how can you expand on, on that? Um, just that you know, Trump hits himself is somehow, you know, whenever he does something dumb, it's like, well, he's, he's uncouth. Or when Steve King, Steve King's and said something racist. Oh, it's, it's just, it's always an isolated incident. No, this is an underlying problem. And mm-hmm. it has been there for, uh, you know, to what we want to talk about. We still are trying to find information on, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, to Reagan where he launched his campaign effectively in, Philadelphia, Mississippi, where, you know, there were some horrible murders committed. And right. so it's it's this idea that they, they think they can control it, but it's they're, it's a disease and it's fully taken them over. And I don't know if they recognize it and they're cool with it or if they're just trying to control it, which I think you hear a lot of people say, but it's undeniable that yeah it's it's an affliction that they haven't dealt with and it's just run amok and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not worth any policy thing they think they're trying to get no and I, it, and it's interesting too because i feel like it's hit its maximum capacity like it's not really spreading mm-hmm. there's only a certain percentage of people that that seem to go along with this type of rhetoric and it's not getting bigger it is very very slowly shrinking um, little, little tiny bits by bits, at least according to a lot of the polls, it's usually like one percentage point here or half a percentage point there. But this, this type of attitude has been a long time coming and it's been around for a really long time. And yes. just, they found, I like how you called um, Trump their mascot. Yes. <laughs> it's like ridiculous character that you can't possibly take seriously yet the people that root for him just keep rooting for him. And it doesn't matter because they, they're winning, you know, like they, they already won in a lot of ways. Like this is a backwards fight for anybody who opposes what the GOP stands for anymore. Like they, you know, they've got the white house, they have the Mm -hmm. Supreme court, they have the legislative bodies and they represent a minority of the, of their, of the entire population of the United States. So right now you're right. Like it is all about just like maintaining power they don't stand for anything, but this is what the Democrats don't want, so that's what they're going to support. And that's kind of why I also put the part in there, too, where le- Republican leadership, as it is, or, or Republican voters, the, the best-case scenario is that they're wildly delusional and think mm-hmm. they can control all this stuff. And the worst case is they're totally fine with it because, as you said, it's all about winning and, as I put, owning the libs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it sort of made me think this is – kind of getting off of what I wrote a bit, but not too much. Um, you know, we've been like reading about fascism and stuff like that mm-hmm. with, uh, and that's kind of why I put in here, I called out the Federalists uh, in particular is, I mean, they've got it, as you said, a mascot who 
spouts off just the dumbest possible things ever. Um, has no real, I don't think he has any real beliefs in anything other than himself. And I, I believe he actually is racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever he does these things, it'd be funny if it was just the Federalist who goes out of their way to then try and either contextualize it or usually kind of make something up out of whole cloth that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Trump is, uh, he's actually right, or the, the libs did this one time. And mm-hmm. so he like he has something to point to or Fox News does the same thing or Fox News points to the Federalists and what they said. And uh, Hillary Clinton wrote about it in her book where she said, like, basically what Trump does is he says something really stupid. Then he hops on Google to try and find something to prove like anything he said was remotely real. Right. And I, I, that's what through um, because it was. Was it Game Change or Game Changer or whatever? I think it was just Game Change, uh, uh, which is a HBO movie based off of a book by the same title. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie is all about the McCain campaign and sort of you know, how the, they tapped into Palin thinking that they, this would excite the voters and get past uh, McCain's polling numbers, which showed he was likely going to lose to Obama. Right. And... <clears throat> Towards the end of it, and I believe it's Ed Harris that plays McCain, walks up to Sarah Palin, who uh, is played by Julianne Moore, I believe, and does yeah, a great job. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's correct. And basically says something to the effect of don't let the like t- right wing talk radio and like the crazy parts of the party, mm-hmm. don't let them kind of ruin you. Mm, interesting. Which, again, it's back to the disease the disease was fully in place. Like they wouldn't have tapped into Palin had they not needed to find a way to at least, I had an analogy years ago that I used with uh, Carl Rove where I kind of talked about like, it's this bottle filled with crazy. And what Rove did when he was managing Bush's primary campaign, which again, he did some horrible stuff against McCain um, hmm. which that's a, you've probably seen that in the news. That's a whole nother thing right now. <laughs> um, and so my analogy was that he, he tried to like open up this bottle of crazy, which I, I think the Republicans had maybe tried to keep under control. Mm-hmm. So in the back to the disease, he tried to uh, maybe just get off the medication a little bit and see what happened. And then, you know, with each passing political issue and each passing campaign, and for that matter, each passing presidential campaign or primary campaign on the, on the Republican side, they just they found that the crazy got out and the, and the crazy was loving it, mm-hmm. and they had to use a little bit more each time, mm-hmm. um, and now it's it's full blown out, but again. <laughs> They're the ones that have let themselves become this way because shouldn't they have had a little bit of any self-awareness to go, hmm, why do we need to rely on people like Rush Limbaugh who are clearly stoking up you know, racist and misogynistic and homophobic uh, and they're using rhetoric to like get people behind them? Right. Why do we need to make sure that they get our – those people vote for us and, or that those people, they like us. 
mm-hmm. maybe there's something wrong with our policies. And um, that's why I think for a while I was more in the camp of, well, they're, they're just trying, and it, and it, but it, there's people that honestly believe in what they're doing. They're just misguided. And now I'm going, no, I, I think it's uh, people that are just corrupt and de- mm-hmm. disease-addled themselves, and the only thing that matters is power and mm-hmm. cynicism and making people mad. Right, and Mitch McConnell is the absolute embodiment of all of that. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah, he, he, he doesn't believe in anything except keeping himself and other people in control and uh, he I, I like the the quote that you used to from Browning mm-hmm. that when people look back at this time you know they'll mark their grave digger of the American democracy is Mitch McConnell <laughs> he really is um, I wanted to point this out with, as far as Trump goes um, and this is why I think it's in a way it's so bad that well, it's, it's bad on all levels. I think because Trump is such an idiot and because he's so lazy, mm-hmm. it comes across as, you know, even like when I'm writing about it, that I'm just making fun of him. More of what I'm doing is I'm trying to make it just ever the more obvious that he's indefensible. Right. And which is why like, it's, it's not a like, oh, let's just laugh it off because things be like, oh, he shouldn't be taken serious. Well, he shouldn't be taken seriously. However, he is the president, and now you've got people who are you know, so-called serious politicians like Mitch McConnell right. who have to step up, or like Mike Lee today, saying that, oh, yeah, what President Trump did is totally legal, but let's, we, we probably shouldn't have him doing it. The fact that they're defending the indefensible, which is so incredibly stupid, mm-hmm. the only kind of out we have is that like, I think on this uh, national emergency – he doesn't have a plan. No. He, the pro, like, that was the whole problem with his bill. Like, he never had a bill. The whole uh, wall thing in the first place. Yeah. He had no actual plan. He told the Republicans to go out and get something done that he could live with. And they're like, we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and when they came back, we're like, well, here's something to avoid a shutdown. He's like, shit. Like, and now I look stupid. Like, yeah, now I'm not going to get what I want. <laughs> and again, there's going to be no one to come forward now that he's like, oh, I'll take care of it because he has no plan for anything ever. <laughs> he spends an inordinate amount of his time doing jack shit other than being on Twitter and <laughs> shit posting. Yeah. So this is kind of like as much as funny as this is, I bring this up on Facebook all the time where like I just – try to remind people of just he is a living punching bag as far or a punchline if you will he mm-hmm. is a joke he is a pop culture reference from the 90s that should have gone away he's a pop right. culture reference for stupidity for arrogance for bloviating obnoxiousness for failure like all this <laughs> yeah. stuff he's a clown and yet um because he's their mascot, they're going to mm-hmm. stand up for it because, oh, the people really like him for some reason. And the more – I, I don't want to sound super, like, you know, super serious or dark or anything, like as I've said in the previous fascism podcast. But the more I get into this, like the Snyder book and the – oh, crap. I, I just forgot the name of it. The audio book I'm working on right now. <laughs> oh, I just started reading um, 
Madeleine Albright's uh, fascism a warning. Oh, okay. Yeah. And like, holy shit. Like, this is mm-hmm. precisely what he's tapping into. Like, mm-hmm. the uh, sexual anxiety of men, the economic mm-hmm. anxiety of men, um, white men, that is, mostly. Uh, I'm sure there <laughs> right. are some non-white men who are have problems with, with you know, like some of the things Trump has to say on those, but for the most part, yeah, it's supposed to appeal to white men who are yeah. always the victim. And that's why he speaks to these people. It's not because it's not because they're poor. It's not, they may feel like they're poor. Um, right. It's not because they're the victim. It's not because of any of this stuff. And <laughs> I, oh, I almost wish I would have put something in there too, but I wanted to make this as little about Trump as possible. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's why, again, this is a disease. Before they tried to dress it up and maybe make it look like they were actually healthy when they weren't. And then he came in and he has a hard enough time figuring out what Fox and Friends is trying to tell him. <laughs> right. So he goes it's straight. Just spell it out. Yeah. <laughs> so as he goes straight for the things that they're supposed to say quietly. Because he's like, oh, I see what they're getting at here. Why has anyone else got this? I'll say it loud. Yeah. uh, No, that's the thing they're hinting at. So, you know, (laughs) the dog whistles thing, yeah, that's supposed to be like, let's see if we can kind of keep some, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, Plausible deniability. (laughs) Right. Let's not be overtly racist. And he just subtly racist. Rose it out the window (laughs) because he thinks he's so smart that he's just discovered it. Uh huh. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I've rambled too too long. No, no, not at all. I think you're good. <laughs> so yeah, that's um, I've I'd really wanted to write that for a while. And as as you know, like the opening paragraph, I'd had that written for months. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. one, and it you know it's just as applicable now as like the day you start writing it. <laughs> it is maybe even more so, especially this week <laughs> with uh, or today with the emergency being declared. <laughs> I so I spent that like last night when I was writing this, um, and I kind of felt bad because I, I wrote it on the couch and Julia just passed out. She was just like <laughs> sleeping, so I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll start writing this again." I'll write it. <laughs> and she read it before she went to bed, and like the whole time I'm writing it, I'm going, "Man, am I ever going to write thing as good?" Because I like, this first paragraph I thought was I don't want to like two by a horn. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And. Uh, so like when Julie read it, I was like, so what, what was your favorite part? And she liked the last paragraph the most. I was like, okay, oh, good. Good. Because I always try and like end with a closer. And I thought about using that as the closer, but I'm like, no, I think this kind of gets us started off here correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and since we'll just go down more of the uh, road of kind of how the Republican Party has got to this point, different friend on Facebook was arguing with someone who is actually a scientist, like hold grad, he holds graduate degrees in science and teaches science. Oh, okay. So he was trying to argue the scientific merits of climate science with him. Okay. And basically saying, well, this is how I feel. Yeah. And then, um, (laughs) because he's a businessman, um, he's got a degree in business and stuff. Uh, he, I mean, well, I'm more talking about the economic impacts. And so I was trying to like toss like, well, the science isn't settled because pe- places like the Heritage Foundation 
and like the Cato Institute uh, employ scientists or uh, I'm doing air quotes scientists to <laughs> try and debunk climate science. And wasn't at one point like one of the people that the Koch brothers employed was a uh, someone that had basically worked as a researcher against uh yeah against was, the whole concept yeah well yeah and previously had been someone to try and debunk that cigarettes were bad for you science yeah yeah um so i yeah, think you're right obviously they're a little bit malleable when it comes to uh their scientific uh beliefs and methods and all that all those things Well, because yeah because and that's why air quote air quotes are appropriate because that's the exact opposite of the de- mm-hmm. definition of science like you don't pick your answer and then try and work your way towards it that's that's the opposite of how it's supposed to be done so when i pointed out that actually um in joseph stiglitz book the price of inequality he mentions economic studies that have shown that kind of moving towards a more green economy so more uh policies and regulations that actually uh favor sustainability actually have increased economic benefit for just about everybody mm. because you know this is what i like about people like oh don't why do you hate capitalism why don't you like capitalism like you don't think it can adapt and they can find a way to make money off of you know, green energy and stuff like that. You, you think it has to be the way it is right now? Yeah. No, what you're listening to are coal barons who are going, no, you got to get my coal out of the ground so I can keep having <laughs> billions of dollars for the inefficient fuel that's also really dirty. <laughs> uh, and so when I brought that up, he's like, well, they're economists that, also, that's, that agree with me. Yes, the same economists that work at those same think tanks. Right. And so that made me think to this belief that, oh, yeah, well, uh, they're, they're the people that say otherwise. Well, yeah, because rich people pay them to say to otherwise. Say <laughs> and we're wondering, as much as I enjoy several never-Trumpers on Twitter, mm-hmm. they occasionally seem to think that because they hollowed out their own party, and in a lot of cases, I think some of them just flat out ignored the disease or were like, eh, it's not that bad. Or like, hey, uh, the disease, eh, I, that's not going to hurt me. Or like, right. maybe, maybe we'll take our medicine sometime. And they're kind of now going, well, you, Democrats are moving too far to the left. Like, I'm sorry your party's broken, and I'm glad that you're not <laughs> supporting them. I really am. But um, <laughs> you don't get to come over here and say you need to follow what I want to do. So there's not a, a center right. But my point more – sorry, before, before I just go off and trashing never Trumpers, which I wasn't <laughs> trying to do. Um, no, my point was that the reason – and they, they seem so miffed that – their party is so fine with like fact-free beliefs yeah. and that their feelings are more important than actual facts. Uh, despite what people like Ben Shapiro say, even though he says that, but then basically tweets out things about how his feelings should matter and how men's feelings should matter more than whatever. Um, <laughs> so when they've spent decades in some cases cozying up to, these think tanks because they pay them or cozying up to these billionaires because, oh, well, they help keep us in power. Mm -hmm. Um, Those people have helped to drive a (laughs) Republican base that only cares about having their feelings validated and their beliefs in nonsense validated. Mm -hmm. And that when um, (laughs) – 
I should have guessed my buddy was going to respond with this. Um, when I said that, oh, yeah, Stiglitz is a Nobel Prize winning economist. He goes, well, Obama won a Nobel Prize. Well, so did uh, Yasser yeah. Arafat. Okay, so you're just going to completely skip over my point here. Um, <laughs> or in, in this case, I think just miss it. Yeah, just purposefully not not Because people I don't agree with have been honored by the same body. Mm-hmm. And what I really wanted to shoot back with, but I was like, I don't want to go, go down this road. Okay, so I never want to hear from any Republican ever again because they voted for Donald Trump. Mm. Your party's fucked. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sorry. Anyways, back to fascism. <laughs> that's our that's our favorite. The last yes. couple months is fascism. <laughs> where should where to begin though with more fascism? I don't know. I mean, I feel like it was just today with the like. I'm a little Hitler poll yeah. <laughs> trying to do this emergency powers bullshit. It's so completely unprecedented. And I, it's just, it, nothing's going to come of it, but he's just, he's just trying. Yeah. He just, he's just trying. Because you know, the architect of whatever the plan is going to be is mainly Stephen Miller. Yeah. Who is, <laughs> what are the words for him? <laughs> What are the words for that? (laughs) I think we've talked about this before, but um, Uh Stephen Miller has been a troll since, like a real life troll since it was a thing. When he was at, uh, was it Duke or was it North Carolina? It was Duke. Um, I don't, I don't know what where he went. So he He was a troll in high school, like yeah. But I'm thinking. So he was a wrote for the newspaper news at Duke and there was that uh, sex scandal which involved the lacrosse team but it was later found out that like the prosecutor was trying to kind of make a name for himself and didn't really and the police kind of aided him and uh, yeah. while the boys did have strippers over to their house they didn't actually do anything and, and the, the alleged victim had all sorts of mental problems it, it, it was a it was a, a rough thing and I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. But he wrote a piece for the newspaper defending them before it came out that the facts of the half-assed investigation and holding evidence back was known. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do any – he didn't, like, speculate that. It was basically pure racism and it was just trolling. Mm-hmm. So um, and as we said, too, the fact that he stuck around this administration for so long when really – it's. I mean, could you, do you believe that Rick Perry is still around? Well, I don't ever think about him, but I I'm surprised. <laughs> so is Ben Carson. <laughs> I think it's more so because they it's don't so come into contact with him very often. <laughs> That's very true. But the people that have been in contact with Trump fairly often are mostly all gone. Yeah. And. One of the most important ones uh, is his son-in-law, which, oh if the uh, reports are correct, has some of the dumbest ideas. Uh, because I guess one of the things that Jared suggested um, was that Trump should veto this bill and just allow them to basically override his veto. Mm. Because then it would at least look like he was fighting which um, he already looks incompetent and fairly 
impotent as a leader, yeah. that would be an outright <laughs> display of just that. Like, yeah, um, no, sorry, Grandpa. Um, we're not going to let you do that. Right. So the, the fact that Stephen Miller and Trump, who desperately, uh, he, he likes to have people go on TV that he think look good. Mm-hmm. Stephen Miller does not look good. on, And I'm not urging him for being ugly or anything. It's just he looks no. creepy. The way he well, carries himself, mm-hmm. he's very full. He's arrogant. He thinks that like this is a joke, apparently. And uh, he's a he is a nasty human being, and he comes across exactly as such. That he is. Oh, dogs using a squeaker ball. <laughs> Was there anything? Because I've got something else I'd like to talk about that's not fascism related. Is there anything oh. else you'd like to get into some more about this or just the news of the week or no no i think we covered that just fine so what, what's the other topic you wanted to touch on so um i think <laughs> by the way so the thing he's chewing on right now uh-huh. is like the coolest toy for him ever okay it's a ball that's like translucent blue and it's got handles on it, and it squeaks. And inside the ball is a small tennis ball. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so, like, he he can squeak. He can toss it around. Um, he can chew on it and try and get that ball out, which, like, when we first gave it to him, he's like, what? Like, he just, like, he would slap it around trying to get the ball out. This wouldn't come out. <laughs> so I highly recommend that toy to anybody who has a dog that uh, doesn't really calm down because it uh, – doesn't wear him out, but he's having a great time right now. Keeps him busy. Yes. Yeah. yeah, keeps him out of other things. So you probably saw, or maybe you didn't. I don't know how much you keep up with this kind of news during the offseason, but okay. the Broncos traded for a 34-year-old, or is he 36? He's 34. 34-year-old Joe Flacco. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I saw a headline, but I didn't read it. So yeah, that's, that is news to me. And oh, so here are the particulars. Okay. The Ravens have got their quarterback of the future. Okay. And we're likely going to cut Joe Flacco because he is set to make $18.5 million this year. Oh, my. T- nearly, I think, 20 next season and over 20 the season after that. What? So yeah, there's $60 million remaining on his contract. Uh, I don't believe any of that is guaranteed, so they could have easily cut him. Okay. And then the Broncos could have – they wouldn't have had to pay $18.5 million for Joe Flacco if they really liked him. They wouldn't have had to pay that. They could have overpaid for him and probably paid ten, and still got hmm. him. Instead, they gave up a fourth-round draft pick, and the word is that they're not having Flacco rework his deal – so they will be paying him $18.5 million. Uh, no matter oh what they gosh. do with Case Keenum, it's a t- uh, I think it's a $10 million hit to their cap because it's dead money because money they've already paid him. Yeah, right. So that's $28.5 million dedicated to the quarterback position no matter what they do at this point. I suppose they could cut Flacco and just have given up a fourth-round pick for no reason. And I was reading all this stuff. So Flacco by the numbers, is a downgrade from Keenum. What? Really? Oh, and my I gosh. Didn't, I think I may have watched one Broncos game last year. Um, 
And so, dear listeners, I, I know we, I, you've heard me talk this before, but in case you aren't familiar, I I know a fair amount about the NFL and about football, but I had, I'm guessing, Michelle, you watched more NFL games than I did last year, especially Probably. Broncos games. <laughs> yeah. So what – because to my mind, Keenum was Case Keenum last year. He is what he is. He's yeah. he, He's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the biggest arm, but I thought that, and I even ripped on the Broncos for hiring Bill Musgrave as their offensive coordinator. Right. Yeah. But I thought he did a decent job um, trying to kind of mask the things that Keenum can't do because Keenum, if you've seen this, if he has to get the ball, you know, got to get some extra air underneath it or kind of get some extra oomph, he drops his elbow down a little bit and almost like shot puts it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really bad because it, it, Tells defenses what you're doing. Also, you can't really get the zip you need in the ball. It's you know it's usually a thing that when someone can't physically do what they're trying to do, they're trying to like. <laughs> you've seen quarterbacks. It's, not, it's not a good strategy. Yeah. yeah. So, am I wrong in thinking that <clears throat> it might not have been a horrible thing to just roll with Keenum next season? No. I- no, because I mean there were there were little moments where he didn't really look that bad, and it it seemed like it was mainly the team around him that needed to be a little bit stronger mm-hmm. um, to kind of protect him better and give him the opportunity to get the ball out faster. So I don't think that was a good move <laughs> because it, it 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 I feel like it could be okay with Keenum, but I don't know. This sounds crazy to me. Well, and also, this is why I was like, what? You traded for him? You could have got him for cheaper and not given up any draft assets. Anything, yeah. And with the with the rotation of quarterbacks over the last like couple of seasons, with like mm-hmm. Brock Osweiler back and forth, yep. Paxton Lynch, and what a disaster all that was. Like, I, I thought it was going to be like an investment. Like, mm-hmm. And this, this sounds like a, an investment blown, so... It does, and here's kind of what I picture happening. They're going to try and trade Keenum, probably won't be able to, um, unless they find some team that's willing to take him for, like, a seventh-round pick. And Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the Broncos still have, like, that's the thing. No matter what they do with him, that $10 million cap hit is there. They can't get rid of it. It's still there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Flacco gets beat out for the starting position before the season starts. Right. What the biggest thing that kind of makes me mad about this is, as you said, with Elway's problems with quarterbacks since uh, wooing Peyton Manning, to, mm-hmm. who had, mm-hmm. he did have a fair amount of suitors. Um, apparently one of the biggest ones was uh, San Francisco at the time. Mm-hmm. And then the rumors were that either he didn't want to play in the same conference as his younger brother or that Jim Harbaugh had pissed him off because he made some <laughs> comment about how he could throw the ball harder than Peyton could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I would, I would be surprised by. And I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him too much benefit of the doubt here, but with Paxton Lynch, I thought that was a pick where you had to understand that from the offense he played in, in college and the fact where like he, he didn't come from a big school. We even so he went to what Memphis. That's where he went to college. Yes, and he didn't yeah, go to a very somewhere. big football school in high school, and so he didn't get mm-hmm. a whole lot of big time looks. 
And what made him successful at Kentucky was the coaches basically had had two really good receivers, and he just had to look and see if one of them was open and throw the ball to them. And the pros just doesn't work that way. So Mm. Lynch had all the physical tools, which could have been great or even, you know, serviceable, but they needed to really just have him sit for at least a year. The whole kind of like redshirt thing where it's, no, let's have him sit down. Let's like, let's teach him how to be a quarterback. Like not just a guy that hucks the ball. Like let's teach him the position, play quarterback, all that stuff. Uh, Simeon got hurt. They brought Lynch in. He didn't look very good. So when Simeon got mm-hmm. healthy, and then the next year they're like they were trying to get him to make a leap forward. He didn't. He was benched. Then you know, going to last year, he got surpassed by a seventh round pick who uh, is now off a team who probably never should have been drafted because he sounds like a real uh, entitled piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Chad Kelly. Uh, <laughs> See, you just like the number of quarterbacks listed, you just almost doubled. Like yep. <laughs> I could name three or four and you just doubled the amount that I could list. So <laughs> also Brock Osweiler came back, remember? Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> because he was so bad that the Browns opted to pay him sixteen million dollars to not play for them. Mm-hmm. After the Texans got a draft pick to send him away. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. So Lynch, I I think that one's that one may be on Lynch, but it's also on Elway for, like, if you have to know the guy you're picking isn't ready, and you have to let him not be ready for a while yeah. until he's ready. So right. what I was hoping this season, this is what worries me, is that Elway is so freaked out by his failures with quarterbacks, especially with Lynch, that mm-hmm. rather than drafting a quarterback and then just kind of like – because I think Keenum – as much as I appreciate everything that Demarius Thomas did in Denver, Keenum just kind of needs some little shifty guys he can throw the ball to over the middle yeah. and you know, side to side. He, he's not going to throw it deep. And at this point, Demarius Thomas has kind of lost a step. He's still very – well, he's, he was hurt after he got shipped off last year. But he's right. a big body guy that now is kind of kind of – you have to throw into traffic and you know he'll go up and get the ball. And – Keenum, when he does that, tends to kind of throw jump balls. That's not a very good idea. That's not a good idea. Right. But if they got some more playmakers, kept Emmanuel Sanders around. Um, oh my gosh, what's the undrafted rookie from? Is it CU? Uh, yes. Um, what is his name? Lindsay. Yep, that's right. Uh, yep. You know, he comes back healthy. That homegrown Denver. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the golden boy right now. Yep, and uh, he comes back. Royce Freeman keeps getting better. They've got an offensive coordinator that, uh, you know, should – can't speak. Uh, now he's attacking me. Oh, That course. should uh, – the offense they are going to run should look familiar to what San Francisco has been running the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it will be a lot of running, a lot of play action, and you know, should really kind of favor you know, two good running backs like that and should take some pressure off of them. So why not go out and, you know, if it's not a super quarterback-rich draft, but they got a fairly early pick thanks to uh, the Vance Joseph, uh, Elway, and some other stuff, mm-hmm. and draft a guy. And if the guy's not ready to go, have Keenum step in. Because 
I don't think Keenum's going to get much worse than what he did last year. No, no. And yeah, I agree with you that that defense should have been much better. A huge red flag for me was when they hired Vance Joseph and Elway let Wade Phillips, who was still under contract, walk because Vance Joseph wanted to run his like he wanted to have his defensive scheme in place and not someone else's. Right. And that's a bad sign for a rookie head coach when they like, no, this works. Mm-hmm. There's there's a few coaches that have done that and done it successfully. And that's people like Bill Belichick. And if you look at the, the success of his assistants who've come out and tried to do the same thing. Yeah. It's obvious that Belichick is just he just won another Super Bowl. He is perhaps I would say it's safe to say he's the greatest NFL head coach of all time. Uh, and it's just, it's not going to work. And so that kind of pissed me off. And I was like, that's not going to work out. And the defense obviously wasn't doing what they should be doing with the amount of talent they had. Uh, Vance Joseph managed the games very poorly. Elway did not put together a very good roster. Mm-mm. And as I said, a lone bright spot, even though it wasn't great, I thought Bill Musgrave did a pretty good job. I was... I didn't want him to get promoted to head coach, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't have minded if he stuck around. Sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that always frightened off by the uh, his failure with Lynch mm-hmm. and is now yeah. just trying to bide his time with a 34-year-old Joe Flacco who – I'll have to double-check this and put it in the show notes if I can find the link. But okay. I read somewhere that he – Owns a very strange stat or record. I'm not not much for one for believing in Pro Bowls to define someone's success. Okay, but Joe Flacco has the most passing attempts by any quarterback in the history of the NFL who hasn't been selected to a Pro Bowl. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, and that sounds really disappointing. <laughs> statistically speaking. He is uh-huh. below average. Yeah. And I, I get it. What they're trying to do is this is what someone wrote is they're trying to kind of recapture what the, he probably thinks is the formula that worked when he brought in Kubiak with Peyton Manning. And, you know, Peyton Manning was obviously that. I don't know how he ever kept playing with that neck injury he had, but sure. You know, he couldn't do the same things he could once do. So they, Basically had him be a game manager, won some games with Brock Osweiler somehow, stuck into the playoffs, and from uh-huh. there their hellacious defense just took over. Right. So they, they have a rookie, not rookie, he's a rookie head coach, he's just been around forever. A mm-hmm. uh, defensive head coach who obviously last year ran a pretty good defense with the Bears. And so he's bucking the, uh, Elway is, he's bucking the trend of hiring young uh Offensive innovators to coach the to head coach the team, and rather than going out and getting somebody like a young, exciting college player, he I mean, anyone who follows the NFL, there's nothing exciting about Joe Flacco. <laughs> there's nothing exciting about Joe Flacco. I've literally never heard of him until you told me about this ten minutes ago. <laughs> well, he's the quarterback that uh, broke the Broncos' hearts. Was it 2012, maybe, when Raheem Moore got out of position and 
Flacco threw a bomb down the sidelines. I think it was Jacoby Ford at a playoff game in Denver. Mm. And they wanted to win the Super Bowl that year. And that's how mm. Flacco got paid. That yeah. basically that one off season or that one postseason, excuse me. <laughs> the one time. Yes. <laughs> so, something of note. <laughs> I joked on Facebook that this is just Elway trying to get himself fired because there's that's the weird thing too, is like this isn't like a high risk, high reward thing. To me, this no. is just him trying to be like I'm just going to be timid and hope it works. What? <laughs> but at the same time, like what, what type of balls would it take to make such a horrible business deal? <laughs> like financially, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> well, um, you probably know more than I do since you actually live out there. That's me. Mm. Uh, that the team ownership is effectively in a trust because you know, Pat Bolin is uh, – dealing with uh, Alzheimer's and I guess the family felt it'd be better if they put the, you know, ownership into a trust and it's basically run by Elway. And I believe his name is Joe Ellis, the team CEO. And there's been, what I've heard is some rumors that the Boland family doesn't feel like there's anyone to really kind of hold anybody to account. Mm-hmm. And that Ellis and Elway have just kind of been, hiring their buddies and giving themselves raises and not really because if you think about it I'm pretty sure didn't Elway get an extension during the Vance Joseph like his first year for himself yeah I think so and that was probably not a good hire uh the last year with Kubiak in town before he uh you know I, I feel for him Kubiak just keeps having health issues because it's such a stressful job. Yeah. Uh, you know, that wasn't a good year, the first year um, post-Manning. And it, it didn't look like he was – because he built a roster. We didn't build because there's stuff in place. But he got a team to the Super, Super Bowl into the playoffs very fast. We took over. And now it looks like that was maybe a fluke. Yeah, that's what it seems like because it's it's been pretty abysmal since then. And yeah, I just I I don't get it. I don't get it, John. The well, and like the word on the street, like you know, everybody who roots for the team obviously wants them to do well and to go to the playoffs. But the last few years, basically, you know, most Bronco fans are saying, "Well, I hope they don't get into the playoffs because they'll just humiliate themselves, and that would be worse than not getting into the playoffs at all." Yeah. I was worried this season they would almost do that. They'd be like, guys, no, don't do it. Yeah. Because then Elway probably wouldn't have fired Joseph. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should also note that uh, good old John, uh, I saw someone posting about this on, I think it was a comment board on uh, Pro Football Talk on NBCSports.com, where they basically said, well, maybe you shouldn't spend so much time writing letters uh, in support of the nomination of Neil Gorsuch on Broncos letterhead. Hmm. And then that doesn't look good. <laughs> did he also advocate or I don't know what, sorry. No, he took money from a political group that was trying to stop I don't know if it was a legislative initiative or if it was something in well, one of the – if it was in the state legislature 
but a bill in Colorado that would have effectively made it not okay for oil company, oil and gas companies to do uh, fracking, as it were, near schools. Yeah, it was a it was an um, a piece of legislation that would require any type of drilling and fracking to be like twenty five hundred yards away from schools and certain different types of property. I think that was the number. Cause I think right now they're allowed within a, like up to a thousand, mm-hmm. which is, you know, still fairly close. And yeah. yeah, he was in all kinds of commercials like supporting, um, or, uh, not supporting the bill, but, um, putting so, down the bill, yeah. which of course didn't resistance pass. to the bill. I've, yeah. I've never seen such, um, such ardent, like political, uh, I don't know. Like people were standing out like on I-25 with banners and signs like vote no on 114 or whatever the number was. I don't think I've seen anything quite like that before. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but there was a lot of people that came to Colorado for oil and gas gas jobs with the last decade, right? Yeah, a fair amount. Um, Probably just as many, if not maybe – I don't know, just as many as people who came when we legalized weeds, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which coincidentally happened around the same time. Like a big part of Colorado's boom is overlapping between the oil industry and the weed industry. <laughs> and those two industries kind of their demographics um, don't really go together most of the time. No, they don't. So they, they don't really uh, just very generally. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's a sweeping generalization, but those are two very different groups of people who came here to make money. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. Legal weed and well, more oil well, gas. It will, you know, and weed is so is so extremely regulated here, and then the gas industries can do whatever the fuck yeah. they want. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting the the contradiction between is like major health problems and the other one is fairly harmless so <laughs> guess which one is which Noel? <laughs> yeah but one has some ridiculous not only social connotations but also racial connotations oh yeah so oh, yeah. hmm i wonder why that is yeah right. i wonder how that goes huh okay should we do good thing of the week yes but do you want to go first or would you like me to go first Sure. Um, so my good thing of the week is I've been reading Jill Lepore's These Truths. And it is a, it, she published it last year. It's been around for a few months now, but it's a, a, a comprehensive history of the United States political history. And uh, cool. it's, yeah, it's, it's really quite good. So I would highly recommend that one. It's um, not many people attempt to tackle you know, uh, tackle such a large subject, but she's, I think she's handling it pretty well. So I'm really enjoying that. That's my good thing of the week. What's the, uh, if you could send me a text with that information later, uh, how big is that book? Like how many pages? It's like 450 pages. Okay. So it's a read. (laughs) It's a big one. Okay. I'd be interested in that myself. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah. I'll, uh, if you send me that, also include that in the show notes. Sweet. Um, my good thing of the week is that uh, we signed the lease and we are going to be moving into a new house not too far from here, a beginning of next month. Very so uh, I would say this would be the last podcast that will be recorded this house, but it likely won't be um, <laughs> because you know I, I keep forgetting there's more time this month. Yes. But uh, also – 
I'm recording a podcast with Tad from Pan Astral on Sunday. And that'll be interesting because, I mean, I think we spent like half an hour talking about the Broncos just now. <laughs> we, we talked football before, but it's never been that at length. Right. And while uh, E and I shared some stories about studying music and stuff uh, in college, I didn't really – there was so much talk about her because she's an attorney that you didn't really get into like the, hey, how the hell did you get started playing music? And also since she plays, you know, an orchestral instrument as mm-hmm. where uh, I started out really on guitar and has an amazing, brilliant guitar player, uh, I plan to just kind of be like, so how'd you get started? And like, I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of have a lengthy conversation of uh, playing in band because he, he and I played in bands together. Uh, and I'll, like, I'll give this away now, but we actually – met despite going to high schools that were in the same district and having a improvisation teacher in common we actually met simply because of the alphabetical uh closeness of our last names oh okay so uh we just got paired together at a in a room at jazz camp nice okay <laughs> and I thought he was just super cool and super smart. And he, uh, I got back to the room one night and he was just sitting there. Uh, we had this flashing light going on in our room, which was really annoying. Um, and so we, we just oftentimes sit in the dark and I get back and he's just sitting on his bed in his boxers, just playing his guitar. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, the, uh, <laughs> there'll be a new podcast headquarters. It's a, Really cool, cute little house from 1948. Nice. Uh, it'll, I think the room is going to be a little smaller than this one. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, too, to see how, like, it's got hardwood floors. I wonder uh, if that's going to make a difference in the sound quality. Probably not. Very well could. <laughs> nah, I don't know. <laughs> so I guess those are my good things of the week. Excellent. Uh, thanks, Michelle. I, I didn't think we were actually going to make this one an hour, but we did. <laughs> we did. Right. <laughs> All right. Wow.